that's kind of my first dead body story and the reason I've never drank Mike's Hard Lemonade again. Go Law Enforcement. Go Law Enforcement. Go Law Enforcement. Go Law Enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement podcast, brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, Go Law Enforcement has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. To help you get that law enforcement job you want and deserve, we've put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to jobtipsnow.com. That's jobtipsnow.com. In this episode, I talk with Susie Ivey. Susie began her law enforcement career in a somewhat unusual way. She started at age 45, then went on to become a detective working sex crimes and homicide. Well, Susie, thank you very much for being on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. When did you start your law enforcement career? My desire to go into law enforcement started as a child, but I didn't actually make it there until I turned 45. Now, I've been reading your blog and a little bit about you, and my understanding is, is you were a bookstore owner before getting into law enforcement. Is that correct? Yes, I was. I own, actually owned my bookstore in Phoenix, Arizona for 20 years. Was getting into law enforcement something that you said, you know, I've always wa- I always want to do this if I have the chance, or was there just the right opportunity? What kind of made you actually take that step? I had pretty much given up on that dream, um, having children, um, you know, uh, everything else that a family, you know, everything that goes with it. And so law enforcement was no longer on my radar. But I remember the day sitting at the bookstore, um, I had a lot of police officers that were customers. And this police officer came in, he was a regular, and he came in and it was really kind of funny because very rarely was I sitting behind my desk. I was usually up and moving around all the time. And I was sitting though behind the desk and he walked in, he was in his uniform and he said, see, that's what I want to do when I retire. And he pointed at me. And I kind of looked at him and I said, what? And he says, I want to own a bookstore and I want to sit where you're sitting. And so I poked my finger back up at him and I said, well, that's really funny because when I retire, I want to do what you're doing. And it kind of clicked in my head at that moment, you know, when he said that as we had that conversation, that this is something I could still do. And why have I limited myself? You know, why have I stopped myself from the dreams of my childhood? And that kind of just started the whole idea rolling. And when you applied and you went through the application process, did you feel any resistance or that you were in a little bit different position than some of the younger uh, applicants? Um, I, there was there was a huge difference, and I was in a much different position. Um, number one, the agency that hired me had no female police officers, and so it made it. Gosh, how do I say this politically correctly? <laughs> I'm not sure how to say it, um, but 
because of religious preferences in the town, um, the city council would pre- preferred not to have a female police officer. So I ran into resistance there, um, just through the city council with getting hired, but also going out against people that are in their 20s. You know, when I went out to do the, the physical fitness test and going out against those people, it's more of a mind game than anything else. And that was something that I just had to learn at 45 years old. I was no longer 20. I wasn't going to keep up with them in all things. Many things I did. But, you know, as far as um, running around that track, I wasn't going to beat a 21-year-old or 22-year-old, I guess he was, who had just gotten out of the military. It wasn't going to happen. And so I just put my head down. And especially when I was running my mile and a half, I had to do a certain time. And, and there's in the police testing, um, there, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, what your age is, everybody has to test the same. And I just put my head down and I just said, I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to do the best I can do. And that's what I did. And I actually beat every, every other applicant there. Um, and that was through the physical testing, through the, the written testing, psychological testing, everything else. Um, I just, I think it was my age I had going for me in, in this, you know, circumstance. Did they have a, an oral interview board that you went through? Yes. Did you basically say, look, I'm not 22, but I've got a lot of life experience that I bring to this job and use that as a selling point? Absolutely. I use life experience. Um, something else that was, I think, key in that interview um, because I'm I'm extremely well read, and I remember when I was getting up and leaving the interview, and there was the chief of police, um, a secretary from the police department, the lieutenant from the police department, and then a secretary from an outside department was there, and I remember getting up to leave, and the chief of police quoted something by. Abraham Lincoln, I think it was, and and he did this Abraham Lincoln quote, and I kind of stopped at the doorway, and I turned around, and I said, and this was so odd for an interview, but I turned around and I said, you know, it, it's actually um, four score and seven years ago, our father set forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I'm here that we can, so we can add women to that. And I remember him just stopping. I mean, he just looked at me and his eyes got huge and he says, well, thank you for that. And I walked out. And like I said, it just kind of was a combination of everything I had going for me. Um, but I think brain smarts. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I could act under pressure um, and, and, for me, owning my own business for 20 years, I really had never interviewed in my life. So going into that interview, I was scared to death. And another key thing I should mention is I really never thought I would get the job. I just, I didn't feel like I had anything to lose when I walked in that door. And that made a huge difference. And I think it made a difference in my career as a whole of, of just saying, you know what, I'm nervous, I'm scared. And it doesn't matter. I just need to face forward and keep walking. <laughs> just keep going forward. If they don't want me, I'll find someone else who does. And that just 
kind of was my entire career. Did you go to a regional academy that had a variety of agencies that were going through the training? I did. Yes, I did. And what was that like being 20 years senior to most of the other people in that academy? Very, very eye-opening um, to be with, um, and I call them kids. They weren't. They were not kids because these were, the majority of them were Marines, although I made really good friends with with an Army guy. But um, the majority of them were Marines. They had just returned from Afghanistan and, you know, all over the Middle East. Um, they were war veterans. Academically, I did fantastic. I was able to, to help them academically. Um, but more than that, they carried me physically. They helped me physically. They came back to me when I did runs. They came back and found me and kept telling me, go forward, hurry, you can do better, you can go faster. Um, and it was just all around um, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. Now, you started off in patrol, I presume. Yes. And how long were you in patrol? I was in patrol for a year and a half with a three-month out-of-patrol working school resource officer because our school resource officer had major surgery. So, but I spent um, a little bit more than a year and a half um, on patrol before I became a detective. And what were some of the, the highlights or memorable experiences that you had while working patrol? You know, something that always stands out in, in my thinking was my first dead body. And you never know how you'll react um, until you've been there and you've done it. You know, and you think you're good, you think you can handle it, you know. And so I get the call. I was on patrol all by myself, which is typical in a small town. And I get the call that we have a dead body. And I show up in, in very sad circumstances. The older parents, the, the deceased was in his 50s. The parents were standing outside the home just looking into the home where their son was. They're the ones that called 911. And so I walked in by myself. They stayed outside. They said they didn't want to come in again. And I walked in by myself, and um, he had been dead for over a week. This was the middle of the summer. I didn't live in a place that gets as hot as Phoenix, but we had been running in the 90s. So that kind of gives you an idea of a week-old body <laughs> that I I walk in on as my first body. Um, I go over, I see some things that I'm just not too sure of um, as far as looking at the situation. Um, and I'm still a patrol officer. I'm not a detective. But I'm looking at the situation of, okay, do we have foul play? Do we have anything? The parents had been gone on vacation. They had just gotten back. They had actually been gone for a month and had returned and found their son dead. Um, but what was was I found very odd as a new police officer where there were cases and cases of Mike's Hard Lemonade. And I saw them everywhere. And I mean, stacked in corners. And then in the room where his body was, there was bottles of Mike's Hard Lemonade half filled all over the room. And I was, I was kind of looking at it. I saw some syringes, um, which I later found out he had diabetes. Um, should not have been drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade, that's for sure. But um, I backed out and I thought, okay, I need to call a supervisor. I, I'm just in a little bit over my head. So I called the supervisor. He came out. Um, I had to, you know, stand there for about 30 minutes. He came out to the scene. He came inside. 
and we were talking about it and he's explaining and I think he had diabetes. I remember hearing that, you know, and he's telling me different things, what I need to look for and treat everything like a homicide, you know, so it was really a good learning lesson. Um, but at the same time, I turned around to my supervisor and I said, you know, I just don't understand. If you love the alcohol so much, why do you only drink half in what's in every bottle? And my supervisor just started laughing and he couldn't stop laughing. And I'm going, okay, what did I say? What's so funny? And he looks up at me and I'll just never forget because he kind of nods down at the bottle and that's closest to our deceased. And he looks back up at me and he says, oh, honey, you don't drink that. You drink what's in the bottle and then you pee back in the bottle and fills about halfway up. So that's kind of my first dead body story and the reason I've never drank Mike's Hard Lemonade again. So you go from patrol into detective and what type of cases did you work Mostly um, because it was so needed in my area. Mostly I worked sex crimes and I was the go-to and being the only female, which there are a lot of great male detectives in sex crimes and I've met them and I've taken training from them and they're fantastic. Uh, but up in our area, which was very conservative and religion, very strong religion, um, religious beliefs and sex crimes was, I shouldn't say big up there because I don't believe it was any different than any other location, but they felt it needed to be handled a little bit more delicately. And so I was given every sex crime that came in and I was pretty much just thrown into that, but I was actually thrown into it before I became a detective. And so they started sending me to trainings all over the country. And as my, you know, as my experience, I gained experience and my trainings, I needed um, top-notch trainings that weren't available in the state of Arizona. So I, w I actually was very fortunate in that. They sent me all over the country. And then they also trained me in homicide. Um, I had a, a smattering of um, property crimes training. It's something I didn't really care for. I really loved crimes against people. Um, and then I spent a lot of time um, on training for, for homicides, though we didn't have a lot. But once I hit the street, we did begin to start having homicides. And we hadn't had a murder in 20 years, and we had one 11 months after I started working there. And then once I became a detective, we had five murders within the first year of me becoming a detective. So that also took over a lot of my life. What would you say are some of the special challenges or considerations in working a, a sex crime case versus any other type of law enforcement case? With sex crimes, you have to be very aware of your victim. And so many victims, um, in my opinion, are not treated correctly. And I kind of took the role that I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe no matter how outlandish it seems, I'm going to believe you until I've been proved that you're wrong, you've been lying to me, whatever. And that was so rare. I mean, it was just very, very rare for that to happen. And I think just looking at someone, looking someone in the face, in the eyes, and telling them, I believe you, this is where we need to go from here. And that's another way of 
of being able to tell when, when someone is being completely honest with you because you'll see this huge relief. You'll see their shoulders drop. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll see their whole body, just their demeanor, everything in them changes. When you're lying, you don't do that. But when you're telling the truth, you tend to because you don't feel anybody will believe you when it comes to a sex crime. And that's just something I learned from experience, and it worked for me. Now, your career took a very interesting path. You went into becoming an author. Did you, did you do that while you were still on the force? I did, and I've suffered insomnia my whole life, um, and I would go through bouts of insomnia. And I had had some very problematic, um, very sad police cases, and I wasn't in a good headspace. And I know um, police officers don't like to admit to any type of mental health problem. Um, it comes from being older, and I had never suffered any type of mental health <laughs> problem. But um, it was actually my chief of police who pointed it out that I needed to see a therapist. And they were kind of tired of my angry disposition. And I was mad at the world. I will truly admit it. I had a, a very, very bad sex case that they were not going to prosecute on because of the evidence. And I was extremely upset over that because I felt that the evidence locked in the case. But it wasn't my decision to make. And I was having trouble. So my chief of police said that um, in order for me to come back to work, I needed to go to therapy. <laughs> So he gave me the day off. He said, make an appointment. Let me know what's going on. And I remember I was furious. So I went up to our local health care. I walked in. I was upset with them. And I said, I have to make this stupid appointment. You know, what do I do? And they told me, and it was funny because they just sent me right back and set up an appointment and talked to someone um, for the first time. And I know that's very odd, especially in mental health, that you get in, but I found that when I went into my healthcare provider, whenever I was in uniform, I got really quick service. I don't know if they didn't like a police officer standing in their lobby. <laughs> I tended to get really good service. So anyway, I sat down, talked to the therapist, and she asked me if there was anything else in my life I had ever wanted to do. And I said, yes, I wanted to be a writer. And I knew that someday I would. When I could finally learn to sit still, I could become a, uh, I could become a writer. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to give you some homework, and I'd like to see you next week, and I'd like you to bring um, like three pages of a book. I'd like you to start writing a book. I don't care how far you get. I don't care what it's about. Just bring me three pages. And I went in um, a week later, and I handed her six chapters, and I never stopped writing. And it really changed my life, and it helped me cope better. As a police officer, it, you know, it gave me a place to, to cry if I needed to cry, to write a sad story. And even writing fiction, you, know, you can write a sad story that, that brings out your emotions, but then you can heal the people in the story. And in doing that, I helped to heal myself and, you know, and continued as a police officer for two more years. And I remember walking into her office thinking this might be the end of my career. And writing gave me two more wonderful years in law enforcement. Your first book, was that the Bad Luck Cadet? It was. It was Bad Luck Cadet. Um, I actually blogged it. I sold um, the blog post to a magazine. 
Um, and they gave me $25. It was kind of funny, $25 per post. I think there were 23 posts. Um, I had, I laugh at that now, but at the time I was so in awe that people were willing to pay me for writing. (laughs) I was just amazed that somebody would actually cough up money for something I had written. And I just didn't look back. And it was kind of like going into law enforcement. You know, this is what I'm going to do. You just go forward. And with writing my writing career, I went forward. How much of, of what you write is somehow tied to what you actually did on the force? Well, I will be honest and, and tell everyone now that I write um, romance novels. Um, I have a romantic suspense series that does fantastic. Um, I actually flipped it around, and the bad guys are the good guys, kind of think Sons of Anarchy. Um, the police aren't, um, they're not the good guys in most cases. Some of them they are. Some, I have some great officers in there, but I also have some bad ones. Um, and my bad guys kind of take care of the community that they're in. Um, and I rely so heavily on what I know in law enforcement and also what I know about criminals and criminal activity (laughs) and how they do it, you know, how they bring drugs into town and, you know, things like that. And towards the end of my career, my last year, I partnered with a um, gentleman that had just gotten out of the drug task force. And he also had a drug dog. And so I partnered with him for a year and I learned so much, um, I, you know, about the criminal underworld involving drugs where I had primarily been in homicide and sex crimes. And so in this series of books, I pretty much have used my last year's experience in law enforcement, you know, um, to write these novels and from the reviews and from the the emails I get from everyone, I've done a very good job of it. (laughs) What advice would you have for people who are maybe in their 40s or considering a career change going into law enforcement? You've already done that. What advice would you have for them? I think, and and I can say this from having a son-in-law who went into law enforcement um, at the age of 21, and he is still in. I went in at 45. So law enforcement did not shape my becoming an older and wiser adult. I sometimes think it's very sad for the younger people who get in because of everything you see, everything you deal with. It changes you. It shapes you. um, It can make you a very angry person. Um, You see the worst of humanity. And you turn on the news and you see the worst about police officers. So everything, you know, around when you start at that young of an age, it just shapes you to who you're going to become. And for me, I was already established and I was already there. And I think it makes such a big difference in the person I still am and keeping and holding on to that person, the person who loves people. Susie, it was great to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm so excited that you had me as a guest, and I can't wait to listen to more of your shows. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. To help you get that law enforcement job you want and deserve, 
we put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to jobtipsnow.com. That's jobtipsnow.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.